Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. So on today's show, I have Matt Sidel. Now, we speak about how to identify people in the property industry and generally in industry who are not doing what they say they're doing. Um, the sort of legal structures behind how a lot of these people who are losing investors' monies, like how they work, um, how to kind of spot them on social media, uh, and also the kind of security and steps that you should be taking when you're looking to invest in someone uh, to ensure that your money is safe. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting podcast, and this is why it's on a different day from the usual Wednesday, because although Matt has a very interesting property history, which you'll hear about at the beginning, we really focus on, you know, how to protect your, your money, essentially, and, the, you know, first charges, personal guarantees, things like that. If you haven't left a review for the podcast, please do. Matt Siddell, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you, Tej. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm quite looking forward to this, you know, because I this is not necessarily a normal podcast about your story, your deals, your properties. This is kind of focusing on a a platform or a message, I guess, that you recently um, released and made public and put a series of videos and, um, I guess, you know, information up about. But before we get into that stuff, for people who don't know you, could you tell us about yourself, what you've done, what you do in property and what, you, what you're going to do? Uh, sure. I'll give a, a quick uh, summary. So um, I worked through my 20s as an investment manager. I saved my money. I invested in a few funds. Um, I used my savings to start my first business when I was about 27 and we traced missing heirs to inheritance all over the world. And the business was called Kin, as in next of kin. And then I used the money from that business to start investing in Reading. And then they decided that Crossroll would be extended so it wouldn't terminate in Maidenhead, it would terminate in Reading. I did, I did quite well there. Um, I, I quickly built a portfolio of about half a million quid of rent per annum. Um, and then I used the money from the portfolio to try and invest in London around the referendum. Um, and I'll get into that a bit more in the interview, I hope. Um, but today I run a club called Candor, um, and Candor is all about where well, we help good developers do good deals with good investors, and lots of good consultants pick up lots of good business off the back of it. And even though we're um, really focusing on doing things to a high standard, things still go wrong. Um, and uh, I want to talk a bit about the risks and some of the risks that are out there that aren't being accurately reflected these days. Um, when, when people are marketing certain schemes and things like that. Mm, wow. I mean, that's, that is definitely a brief history and I think there's plenty we could talk about about the property aspect, but I have to ask, because obviously the, the, the B word and the Brexit and referendum is all, all in the news nowadays. So how, so what happened as you were trying to buy in London around the referendum? I tried to um, go from, I tried to put together two separate events because in March, 2016 the 3% stamp duty surcharge was kicking in <coughs> excuse me so what that meant was that everyone was rushing to buy property and they were pushing prices up so I sold all my property in Reading which had gone up by about I don't know 30% there's about five and a half million quid's worth of property there and 
Three months later was the referendum on June 29th, and I tried to use that as a buying opportunity to invest in London because it was making the London market a bit soft, and we were supposed to vote and stay in the EU. But there were certain people out there who were determined that the vote would go the other way, and I imagine that firms like Cambridge Analytica were targeting certain parts of the country. When the vote came in, we'd vote by 2% to leave. So I had gone out. Well, I'd actually done some pretty interesting stuff in 2016. I mapped the whole of London in 3D by pulling together different sets of data. So I used title plans, OS maps, and I used LIDAR data from, um, from satellites to map every building and every plot in London, starting with Hammersmith and Fulham, just as a test. And what I was able to do was I was able to identify every plot that was greater than a certain size, where the footprint of the building was less than a certain percentage, where the height of the building was less than a certain height, where the roof was flat, yes or no, to, to just find opportunities. And I built a bunch of algorithms, um, including care home operators when their status changed with the CQC and things like that, to try and find deals off market. And at the same time, I bought four properties, one in Putney, one in Clapham, one in Chiswick, and one in Shepherd's Bush. And they were all properties that I could improve and extend. The bank valued them at 6.4 million when I bought them. I only paid 5.9, so I bought quite well. And the GDV on those, the, the value once we'd converted them and, and um, improved them was projected to be about 12 million. But over the course of the winter, 16, 17, prices started to slip and then Theresa May called a snap election and that sort of wrote off the spring market and then it was the summer market. And we, we got into this situation where um, the pound was falling in value uh, construction costs were increasing, people were leaving the country and not being replaced, so labour was going up and, and GDVs were slipping. And I could see quite early on that I was going to get caught in that crossfire. And I made the decision, <laughs> some people suggested that I needed to go out and raise more money um, to prop up my deals. And the way that I would have done that is that I would have probably taken a lot of money off investors and signed personal guarantees and tried to trade my way out of that situation. But I thought that was a bad idea. I wrote redemption statements for each of the four properties that I had. I could see that I was going to lose money in all four, but I could also see that I was able to return money to my investors. And that's what I did. And I lost um, well over a million quid's worth of equity. I had to write off the money that I'd spent mapping London in 3D. And I kind of decided, as Sophocles says, um, better to fail with honor than to succeed by fraud. Um, and I hope that my reputation remains intact. And I was able to sort of pick myself up quite quickly and, and then start Candle. And, and the club started. I only meant to get a group of 20 people together, but the first group was oversubscribed. So we doubled the size of it and we still couldn't fit in. I think, I think there was about 80 people we couldn't accommodate and 40 that we could. So what we did was we met at King's Cross because it's next to Euston and St Pancras and I encouraged developers to bring their deals down the train line to investors in London that could put in two, three, four, five hundred grand of equity and get these deals funded. Um, and and it, they were better deals for the investors in London because outside of London, the, the, the values don't tend to swing up and down quite so aggressively and the margins tend to be a bit better. So... That was how the club started, um, and that, that was, that's the truth, uh, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, quite in a short snapshot. It was a painful experience for me, but um, um, with hindsight, I was much better off selling those properties in the market in 2017 than I would have been trying to sell them in the market today.
So, hmm. wow. Yeah, it's quite a bit to get your head around, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that the technology you you use to build a map of London is like I've 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 never heard of anyone using technology. I mean, people struggle with Google Maps, but you like to do a whole other level to find well, off-market kind of, deals. Yeah, well, I kind of went for it, but I, I had the expertise from the tracing business. So um, once I'd built the systems and the tools, um, I hired a, one of the guys that used to work for my tracing agency, and, um, and, I, and I found another guy who's really smart, and, and the two of them just built these files on all these underdeveloped properties um, and packaged up these 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 records of them all. And then I hired a guy who was a very experienced PPI um, phone basher, for want of a better phrase, uh, really good on the phone, and we just tried to speak to as many landowners as we could. But the landowners have always got last year's price in their mind, and they want a premium on that. They don't realize or appreciate that the market's falling, and it was just it was just a bad time to try and do it. But I I took a lot of risk. I deserved to lose every penny that I lost. Uh, the referendum vote went the wrong way. I was trying to exploit um, the, the vote, which which we thought was going to be close, but we thought we were going to vote to stay in. <clears throat> and when it went the wrong way, I, you know, I, um, I had to to face facts. Hmm. And, uh, and I appreciate your honesty and, and candor with that. And you know, if you had to take one single lesson from that for the listeners, what would it be? Well. I think Warren Buffett's phrase, you know, what's his golden rule? His first, I think his first rule is never lose money. And his second rule is don't forget rule number one. The reason for that is because if you lose, let's say you got a pot of a million pounds, you lose half your money. You've now got half a million pounds to get back to where you were. You need to make, you need, you need to make a hundred percent return. And if making money was easy, we'd all be billionaires. So, you know, Never lose money. Make sure you've got the proper security. Make sure you're taking risks that you're comfortable with. Um, and don't try and chase people that give the illusion that they're being really successful because you've, you've got to really understand what's going on behind the curtain. Mm. Okay, wise words. And you started Candor, which is spelt with a Q, but is it does it come from the word Candor? Yeah, because... Um, I think it reflects the club's values, um, the integrity, the open, the honesty. Um, mm. And you mentioned the club connects property developers with investors who will fund it for equity. Is that how it works? Yeah, not everybody wants to put in equity. We've got we've, we've got quite a lot of investors that you know million pound investors or more. Um, and the reason they like working with us is because. Um, we're not one of these organizations that says the investor should put in all the money and get half the profits. There's a bit more to it than that. Um, but we've got quite a few investors that like investing with second charge security, but they want to see some skin in the game from the developer. Um, we've got quite a lot of investors that want first charge, but they're happy to take construction risk. And we've got other investors that just want to take as much risk as the developer is taking but these, you know, these are experienced people and they really understand the difference between a good deal and a bad deal. Mm. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And then, you know, recently you have sort of founded a Stop the Stop the Ponzi platform, should we call it? That... Yeah, it's quite an aggressive title for a campaign, really. <laughs> but, um, you know, what I want to do with this interview is I want to distinguish between the good deals and the bad deals. And I don't want to just tarnish them all with the same brush because it's important to differentiate between the two. 
I want to tell people how to spot the bad schemes and how to identify the good schemes. Um, and I will definitely um, tell everyone the right way to do things, which is actually how um, as, as a developer, you'll find good investors and as an investor, you'll find good opportunities and, and manage risk more carefully. But it's important to, to realize that in business, there are good and bad deals at both ends of the scale. So, you know, the, the larger end of the scale, you, you've got Ferrari recently um, listed on the stock market because Fiat Chrysler wanted to sell the business or float the business and they got their valuation right and, and the market responded positively to it. And then Aston Martin came along and they tried to emulate Ferrari's IPO and it didn't go so well and the value of the, of the stock crashed. And more recently, you've got WeWork where they thought they were going to float for 47 billion and the founder thought he was going to become the world's first trillionaire. Um, but as I said before, you, you've really got to understand what's going on behind the curtain and not be taken in by all the hype um, because it's, you know, that's just nothing but hubris. Um, but there are good deals and there are bad deals and there are good bonds and there are bad bonds. Um, good bonds, for instance, um, will not give you a 10% return. The, the US and the UK government bonds offer less than 2% because there's a, a the risk of default is extremely low. But there's a lot of stuff going on in the unregulated markets at, at an increasingly terrifying rate. And lots of people are putting their pensions into these things. And I think it's really important that... Um, well, first of all, I think it's important that the FCA respond to this, and I think they're seriously behind the pace on this one. Um, the media will start picking it up soon. In fact, people like the Times already have started picking it up. Um, but I see more and more developers thinking it's a good idea to, to, to come up with a loan note and encourage people to empty their savings into to, to their loan notes. And their loan notes might be really good. They might, be, they might offer really good security and a return that's commensurate to the risk but there are some that do not. And I think for savers and investors, it's really important that we go into this. Mm. And all of the kind of knowledge you just shared might be a dumb question here, but how, how do you know all of this stuff? Where do you get this information from and how can listeners also kind of discover this stuff for themselves? I think I've probably done the same as a lot of developers out there. You know, you trawl the internet, you look at what other people are doing, um, you make a phone call or two, you go through the paperwork and I've, I've been doing this. I've been researching this stuff because, you know, we've got a lot of good people in the club and it's important to remember that most of the people out there are really good, decent people running good, decent businesses. And it's the tiny, tiny minority that, 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 um, that can come sometimes cause problems for others. Um, but I, I was personally interested in the bonds because I thought, well, maybe Candor could do a bond. And if we could give, proper security that maybe we could get um, raise lots of money for good deals. But what I found was that, well, I, I was a bit shocked by it all actually. And that's where my curiosity started. But I studied economics at Manchester. I, I was previously a registered representative of the FCA. I've, I've sat my exams. I, I, I have a reasonable understanding of all this stuff. And I appreciate that not everybody understands all this stuff. Um, not everyone's an expert at everything, you know, the electrician could come and wire my next house and tell me that he's done something in a certain way. And I'd have to take his word for it because I don't understand what he does properly. But when it comes to this stuff, I've got a reasonable understanding of it. And when I look at some of these schemes, I can see massive problems for some of these schemes further down the line. So, 
Um, I've got some stats here, actually. It's all to do with... It's all to do with George Osborne when he was the Chancellor and he sort of reformed the sector. So in 2014, the pension transfers was about 5.4 billion a year. And then last year it was 33 billion. So it's, it's gone up massively. Um, and it's allowed lots of savers to access their pension pots, which is a good thing. And there, there are other ways that savers can access their pensions. Um, but I think it's more important than ever that savers understand the risks. And as I said before, I think the FCA are, are really behind the pace on this one. Um, because it's, I think it's about 4 billion a year that some people estimate um, is being lost by savers who are, who are investing in, in certain schemes that with hindsight, they wish they'd avoided. Interesting. And, you know, when it comes to these, these schemes and these people who are doing it, you know, would you say that most of them, you know, the, the, the tiny percentage of the ones who are doing it badly, would you say that most of them are aware that they're sort of leading people on? Or do you think it's their lack of knowledge and they're equally sort of, uh, they don't really know what they're doing? I think you've got good people offering good security with good loan to value and proper security on a property on one end of the scale. And I would encourage investors to look closely at those and get comfortable with those offerings um, because the returns are commensurate to the risk. But then at the opposite end of the scale, you know, right at the opposite end of the scale, there are some people that are using perfectly legal schemes, but they're, they're, they're just not good schemes. And it might, it's not just property either. It might be FX or wine or forestry. Uh, carbon credits, crypto, um, but there's more and more of it, and and um, and and and, and the, 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 a lot of it's marketing and social media, and they like to target property because then they can really go for it with the marketing. They say it's it's a secure investment and it's asset backed, and they'll probably put their lawyer's brand on their marketing, and they'll probably put the security trustee's brand on the marketing, and then they can get those magical three letters on there, the FCA, which gives this impression that your money's going to be safe. But just because a lawyer who's well known has drafted the legals doesn't mean that the purpose of the scheme is risk free or low risk. Um, and it's really important to know if your investment does have security on a property or if it's just got security over the business and the business is overgeared because if your money's being used to fund above 100% loan to value, then it's not secured by anything other than thin air. And there's lots of this out there, which is why, which is why I believe they've got the characteristics of Ponzi's and, and I'd like to try and expose, I think exposing is a bit dangerous and it's going to be quite stressful for me, but at least if I can raise awareness, then, um, then the word will spread. And, and people will become a bit more clued up. Mm. And when we talk about sort of these these people or entities who are are doing this, are they? I'm trying to sort of assess which level they're at. Are they at the level of people you and I see on Facebook and Instagram, or are we talking about these sort of bigger, more corporate-looking companies, or is it every, or could it be anyone in any sort of shape or form? All of the above. Okay. And, you know, the, I think everyone in property and business, well, most people in property and business know that, you know, there is a small percentage of any business that are 
doing things wrong, doing them incorrectly, unethically. How, like, have you experienced these people directly or have people in your network had dealings with them that kind of brought it to your attention or? Um, <laughs> I'm really not interested in any witch hunts. I've, I've got more important things to do with my time. So my my job is to help good investors access good opportunities via networking events and to give developers that I believe in a chance to grow their businesses and, and raise their profiles. And I think in the past, I've probably um, not been as clued up um, when it comes to this sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, there's lots of people out there that use their social media to put a load of spin on their communications and they might be inflating their experience or their track record. Um, and, and these are all traits of narcissism and, and it's a huge red flag. But if you go into a company's house and you look at their balance sheet and you look at the last item on the balance sheet, which is the profit and loss for the previous year, you'll get an idea of whether they're returning money to investors, whether the, um, the, the story matches the facts. Um, but when you, when you get these emails from these firms and it's got the lawyer's logo on there and the FCA and the security trustee, and it says that it's asset backed investment, these all give the impression of a huge amount of, um, safety, which isn't there. And the worst, I think some of the worst culprits are the ones where <clears throat> investors, I see these situations where if I was to the untrained eye, it might look like a good opportunity because you're going to get an 8% return. But the people that know what they're looking at would look at that and say, geez, I, I wouldn't invest in that if it was a 30% return. So, and, and the more you know people in the industry, the more you understand how these things work. And some people can speak about it and others choose not to. But as a developer, you can go out there and you can raise a million pounds from investors and the investors are going to receive 10% per annum paid later. But the scheme might be dependent on other investors coming in at a later date. And the developer might actually be paying the broker 20% or they might pay out of the money that's been raised. So if the operator raises a million pounds, he only receives 900. Now he's got to make a profit. And the value of the assets that he's got, i.e. the cash that he's got to use, is immediately less than the liabilities. So he's kind of instantly insolvent. And that's just wrong. That's abuse of these legal structures. It's really bad for the industry. It's taking good money away from good developers. Um, but I can see why the investors are motivated because if you, you know, if you refinance a property and you've got 200 grand and someone's going to offer to pay you 40 grand a year to help you pay the school fees or, or just pay the mortgage or whatever, then um, it's quite enticing. But you've got to think, you know, what's your position going to be when you've lost that 40 grand a year income and you've lost the 200 grand of capital? Um, and that's, that's not where anyone wants to end up. But the investors in these schemes might cotton onto it. <clears throat> and the last thing they're gonna do is tell anyone because they want their money back. And once they're out, they're out, and they'd rather just get on with their lives. So I think, I don't see anyone else making a lot of noise about this. And I don't see anyone else blowing the whistle on it or educating investors to stay away from these things. Um, and obviously my, you know, I'm, I'm motivated because I want to get more good investors into the club. We've got lots of good investors. I'd like to work with more good investors. So unless you make some noise and express your values, you, you'll never be identified as having a certain culture. So for now, I'm running with it. And um, if I ruffle a few feathers, then, 
you know, that probably says a lot more about them than it does about me. <laughs> so, you know, on that, that topic of educating other investors to avoid these kind of schemes, what, you know, if, if I was sitting here with half a million and I was like, right, oh, I need to do something with it. I like property. Cool. Let me go on Google. Let me check social media. Like what kind of things should I be looking for or sort of looking to not see when I'm speaking to companies or people, um, like when I'm deciding where to invest my money? Okay, so valuations are quite important and you might be shown um, a portfolio of assets and the values might be all really impressive with sensible loan to values on there. When I first saw that, I looked at it, I thought, oh, this looks, this looks all right. It looks like they've got a really strong balance sheet here. <clears throat> but then I looked at the lenders and I know the lenders and they're not cheap lenders. They like to lend at high loan to values and it, and it didn't stack up in my mind. So um, I then looked a bit more closely at it and I realized that the values weren't provided by an independent surveyor. They're just director's values. So I could give you a piece of paper and I could say that the shed at the bottom of my garden is worth 10 million quid. And I only want to raise three million pounds from you. So it's 30% loan to value and I'll pay you 6% per annum. But the truth is the shed's not even there yet because I haven't got planning permission. I haven't even built it. And when it's built, it's not going to be worth 10 million quid. It's only going to be worth 50 grand. And I'm taking it to the nth degree a little bit here, but that's, that's effectively what you're looking at there. Are the values director's values? Has the property been built? Has it even got planning permission? Um, and, and, if, if the exit for the developer is to sell the units, then that's the same exit for the investor. And you, you gotta, you know, you gotta take a view on the market. Um, so abuse of valuations is one thing, but it can be done perfectly legally because you can just put a director's value on there. <clears throat> the thing with these security trustees, you know, are they there just to enforce the mandate and is the mandate to, um, raise money? that's given to the operator who's got complete discretion over the money and they can pay themselves fees um, whilst they go out and, and buy property and take risk with it. Um, and ultimately also what's, what's the investor's exit? If you're putting money into a scheme, are you dependent on other investors coming in at a later date to replace your money? And if so, are you happy with the return that you're getting? But quite often with these schemes, the return does not reflect the risk. And I think investors need to understand where they sit in the finance stack. It's, it's no good looking at development saying, okay, well look, um, <clears> there's <throat> really well-known banks involved in the deal, therefore it must be okay. Because the part of the deal that you're funding is the part that the bank don't want. Um, so that doesn't make a lot of sense, but I don't know, it comes with experience, I guess. And it comes from surrounding yourself with the right people as well. If you're relying on the person who's trying to raise money from you, educating you properly, then you're off to a bad start because the person that's trying to raise money from you is obviously incentivized to, to raise as much money as they can, as cheaply as they can. Um, and you've got to find other places to go and, and, and educate yourself. Which is a good thing about Candor because I don't have an agenda. I'm not trying to raise money from lots of people, so I'll just tell it how it is. Um, and it might make me a little bit unpopular with one or two people, but it should actually help me find the right people to work with and that's good developers and good investors and, and good consultants and I'm glad to say that that is the majority of the property industry but I've got some other stats here actually because I thought it'd be important to to pull this up there was 
Money transfer from pension schemes, 2010 to 2014, it was about 5 billion quid a year. Then in 2015, it spiked because George Osborne introduced these changes. But then after 2016, it went through the roof. It went from about 15 billion up to 35 billion a year. Um, and as I said earlier, I think I've said it twice, I really think the FCA are off the pace on this one. And I've seen people recently lose lots of money because they've invested in a business rather than lending against property. And I can see more of it coming down the pipe. Um, and and I, I don't think savers should be bailing out developers who've, um, who've, who've um, sadly and unfortunately been caught in the crossfire of, 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 of the market because of the political uncertainty. Hmm. Okay, so those are tips on on how to avoid this sort of thing. And and you know what you were saying, in terms of evaluations, etc. Is it something like so? If if I approach someone, they had a deal, had, they showed me the balance sheet, looked at valuations, the information that you're saying we should ask for, is it just a case of asking them for it and then going from there, or is there some sort of, I don't know, like third party you can ask to verify these things do you know it's not my job to do this but if i could make <clears throat> excuse me if i could make one change overnight it would be that there was some sort of code of conduct that everybody signed up to and the first thing i would do is i would make it compulsory that independent legal advice was the cost of independent legal advice was added to every loan above a certain amount so it doesn't matter if it's 25 grand 50 grand 200 grand or two million quid if you're lending someone fifty thousand pounds, a thousand pounds to get the to get your own lawyer, not the developer's lawyer, to get your own lawyer to check the, the loan agreement and make sure that it's all done properly, is is a pretty cheap cost of making sure your fifty grand is safe. But also understanding that if the bank are lending at seventy percent, are you lending beyond ninety percent? Are you lending beyond a hundred percent? And I think the sooner that happens. Um, the, the better everyone will be. But independent legal advice is the first place to start and the cost of independent legal advice should just be added to the loan if not paid for up front. Okay. And, you know, when it comes to, I guess, the social media aspect, you know, I think as soon as anyone goes on their phones or their computers, there are tons of Facebook adverts from people wanting investment, people wanting to go on their courses, um you know, people trying to sell you something, not just necessarily in property. And you mentioned earlier that people do use social media, which I think a lot of people are aware of to, you know, pretend to be someone they're not or to pretend to have deals that they don't have. How how would you advise people to, like, identify people that may be, you know, selling a dream or not sort of doing what they say they're doing? So, I mean, I've... I've... I've, I've been on the receiving end of this. So people have come up to me and said, Matt, this person, there's absolutely nothing on company's house to back up that performance. And everybody should have a shortcut on their browser straight to company's house. And you could put my name in there. There's not too many Matt Siddells in the country, um, thank God. And you, you'd immediately find all my companies and you can see who the other directors are and you can see what companies they're directors of. And if you right-click, open in a new tab, right-click, open in a new tab, you can open it all up and you can look at the accounts and you look at who the shareholders are. It's You may as well have it all saved on your desktop, on your own computer. It's right there for everyone to see. And if they, 
you know, if they've, if they've got, if there's no sign of any assets on the balance sheet, then you just got to ask yourself whether that story matches the story that their marketing is telling you. Um, uh, what if they've every- been in business for less than a year and there's no, like company house is just, it's just empty because it's going to be, well, what can people do then? Is there anything? Wait, you could lend it against the property and take a first charge or a second charge or even probably a third charge, although I've never seen anyone do that. Um, or you could just take shares in the company and be happy that you're taking a lot more risk. But then this this is another one that, that kicks in because, um, and I don't know why anyone would do this because it's so short-sighted, but you can raise equity from investors and sometimes the developer might also be the contractor. So let's say there's going to be, uh, the cost is going to be a million quid and the profit's going to be half a million quid. So the investors think, well, this is all right. I'm going to get, I'm putting in half a million quid, but I'm going to make 250 grand profit. I'm taking a lot of risk, but it'll be worth it. What happens if the developer, who's also the contractor, then decides that instead of a million quid, the costs are one and a half million quid? Well, now there's no profit for the investor. So this is, this is like one of the oldest tricks in the book, but it's also the quickest way to ruin your reputation. So as a developer, I would encourage people to raise money from investors and guarantee some of the costs, if not all of the costs, and or give the investor some sort of guaranteed return, which might be a certain percentage per annum or the first hundred grand of profits or whatever, but give them proper security. But all this bullshit about investor puts in all the money and we split the profits 50-50 and the developers, the contractor, I just think it needs to, I think people need to blow the lid on that stuff because it's just open to abuse and the the developer will make themselves look bad and the investor will potentially learn a very expensive lesson. So cost over on guarantees, I I think, I think cost over on guarantees will help developers do more deals and you don't have to guarantee all the costs, Um, but also some sort of preferential return or, or an interest rate to the investor or, or some sort of security that they will get some money out of the deal before the developer gets their profit. Um, and that doesn't matter if it's just an HMO or if it's a block of flats. That's that's the right way to do it. And that's that's how, <clears throat> excuse me, that's how experienced investors um, would structure their deals. And that's probably why we've got more million pound investors in Candle than um, any other organization that I'm aware of. Hmm. And um, I think I read something, it might have been on your profile, it might have been someone else's about, uh, I think there was a property developer recently who is in jail now, I think, and about how some companies or investors will give out personal guarantees because they sound, uh, you know, strong. And also, of course, if you sell, if you say to someone, look, I'm personally liable, you can take my house, you can take my watch, you can take my car, it gives people a sense of security. Um but I've heard is like people just giving out, let's say, 60 of them, but the 60th person doesn't know that there's 60 people before them and that they're 60th in line. Is this sort of thing quite common? And, and is it something that like investors should be looking out for? Yeah, I think um, I think it's I mean, this is another reason why I'd like to raise awareness for all this stuff, because I see developers that are trying to work out how to succeed emulating developers that are destined to fail. Um, I've been in that position myself when I'm trying to, you know, build my career up and, and I've, I've encouraged myself to get outside my comfort zone and take more risk. 
But there's a reason why your comfort zone is your comfort zone because your gut is telling you, and it's been doing this for millions of years, which is why we didn't all get eaten by dinosaurs. Your gut is telling you this is risky and you should be careful. So you should listen to your gut. But as for the PGs, I mean, what's, what's, what's the value of a PG if you've given someone 100 grand, but they've got 20 million quid's worth of PGs out there? You, you're better off getting um, a charge against a property that's worth 100 grand and only got 3 million quid's worth of debt against it. It just doesn't make any sense. But the PG is a phrase that um, sort of gives this illusion of security. And I think the word bond is something that gives an illusion of security. And I think FCA, because you've got a security trustee, gives the illusion of security. And there might be lots of security there, but there also might not be. So you've got to understand what's going on behind the curtain. Okay. And then, you know, going back to the point about social media, are there any, there probably won't be any, but are there any ways that, you know, people can spot, apart from sort of comparing to companies house let's say someone was within their first year um so they couldn't you couldn't see anything on company's house apart from you know getting a first charge if you before that stage you were thinking "Mm, is you know is this person legit is there any way of telling or do you think social media can be so convincing that actually it can be almost impossible no i mean you've you've seen it yourself there's there's operators out there that are prolific on social media and it looks like they're having a really good um, good run of luck and their business is exploding and everything's going great. But this is part of the problem with some of these schemes is that um, once the broker's taken their slice out and the million pounds is now just 900 grand, the operator might have discretion over those funds. What's the first thing they're going to spend it on? The first thing they're going to spend it on is marketing and, and trying to advance the illusion that, that, that everything's going great. So you, you've got to deal with, with the facts. And if the facts are they haven't got a penny to their name and their personal guarantee is worth nothing, or they've leveraged the deal up to the hills, you will be grateful when you see them blow up and people lose money that you gave it a wide berth. And at the same time, if someone comes along with a good deal and they're putting some skin in the game and they can give you some proper security and they'll say, yeah, the costs are a million pounds, but I'll guarantee. The, the next hundred grand of cost overruns. So I'm incentivized to manage those costs properly. And not only that, I will guarantee that you will receive the first 200 grand of profits because we're supposed to be making 600 grand of profits. Then why wouldn't you do that deal? So one of the guys <clears throat> who joined the club at his very first um, event met an investor um, and they did a deal together. So uh, let's not use their real names. Let's say Bob had just found a deal that day uh, the property was available to let. It was languishing on the market. And Bob asked the agent to find out if the, vent, if the, if the landlord would sell the property. <clears throat> Turned out he would sell the property. And Bob went to, let's call him Andy. And Andy said, I will arrange all the funding. I will deal with the bank and I will put in the equity and we can split the profits 50-50, but I will not take less than 200 grand profit. And in the end, they made 600 grand profit and they split it 50-50. And it meant that the investor was comfortable because he'd managed his risk. The developer was happy because he didn't have to put any money into the deal. And he was ultimately going to share the profits 50-50. But it just worked. And there wasn't any stress. And they'll do another deal together. And those are the sorts of deals that we want to see people in Candle doing. And I'd rather people did lots of small deals that were good than big deals that carry a load of risk and um, should come with a bit of a health warning. Mm. And, you know, I think what I'm also kind of getting from this, which is 
which might seem obvious, but I think like if you're listening and you want to invest in you know a property developer property investor someone who is doing property because you don't want to do it yourself you just want a loan you want to jv whatever it is well, you haven't got the deal and they have yeah you have to understand property yourself like i think you you know there's a lot of people who invest in startups and crowdfunding all this stuff and but unless you actually can understand property the legal charges to an extent and the legal documents or at least your solicitor can it's probably best to upgrade your education and knowledge on property first before that's investing the other in problem, it. Tej, like where do you go to do that? You go to some guy who's teaching you that the, you're, you're losing money by keeping your cash in the bank, get out of your comfort zone and give it to me. And I'll give you 8%. <laughs> by the way, I'm not going to put any money in. And the bank won't fund the planning risk, but I'm going to I'm going to let you do it. And I'm not saying that everybody in property education cannot be trusted. There are loads of good people who have good values and lots of integrity but you know this is this is part of the fun of property and the part of the fun of the property is there's lots of characters to to to, to manage and, and you, you've got to work out who you do and don't want to do business with and and you know again i guess a similar question to investing when it comes to property education which is obviously a big topic on social media everyone's talking about it everyone's trying to call people out everyone's trying to you know there's just so much sort of happening right now it kind of feels like there's going to be i don't know some sort of explosion on social media of of something it just feels like we're getting we're moving towards a storm of some type you know when yeah, but that's a difficult one isn't it go on i'll let you finish what are you gonna well, say well i was gonna say when you know when people are, are new in property or you know they are like right i want to quit my job i want to go into property or i've got money i want to invest in your opinion how can people identify okay who's a good trainer who's not Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to think about that one. There's, 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 <clears throat> you've triggered about six things I want to mention all at once. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got time. Go for it. Let's hear them. Look, there are good people out there and they will provide lots of valuable content and they'll provide it as quickly as they can and they will help people avoid expensive mistakes and some of these people have been in property for a long, long time. And if you can get close to them, their knowledge is really valuable. Um, but the reason I started Candle, the way I did start Candle, was I didn't want to put myself on a pedestal where I'm the guy that knows everything about everything, because that just sounds like a lot of stress. And by structuring it as the way I have, where I'm just a facilitator and I bring people together to meet, I was able to get really, really good people into the club. And those are the ones I want to hang out with. But there's always going to be people who... <clears throat> believe that rent to rent is property investment or they believe that you know there was someone the other day that was messaging and he said um i'm getting four percent a month and it's insurance backed and they're trading tier one bank stocks or debt because they've got privileged access to it i was like if you believe that you're a fucking <laughs> idiot and there's no help for you. i don't even know what that means or well, first of all, he's getting compounded return of 50% per annum and he thinks it's insurance backed. Like, why would something that's insurance backed need to pay anyone 50% per annum? It's like the whole thing just screams Ponzi. Um, and I, I, it's bad energy and I don't want to put my energy into that stuff. I want to put my energy into positive stuff and stuff that you can be passionate about, not angry about, because that's different. But I don't know, like... <laughs> 
the property education business is a really, really good business. You can make a lot of money in property education because there are people who will, who, who are in, uh, their, their pain is of a certain quantum that they will pay for the chance to get out of that pain. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I don't think anyone would argue that everybody who goes on a course is going to be successful because they've been on the course because some people don't have the acumen. Um, but the, the other challenge you're going to have is that the schemes that are using investors' money for their marketing and the, the people that are making lots of money out of property education, they've got lots of resources and, and their marketing tends to be very good. Um, and I, I think if there was one piece of advice that I could give, it would be just, you know, don't be taken in by the hype. Try and find the people who've got some integrity um, and, and check your references. And, and use an independent solicitor if they want to raise money from you. And make sure your returns are commensurate to the risk, which is first charge should be six to ten percent per annum if you're if you're taking if you're taking some construction risk with it. The second charge should be twelve to eighteen, sometimes more on the bigger deals. And and if you're putting in if you're buying shares because you want to receive profits, then you need to make sure that the costs are gonna be Managed properly, preferably by some sort of guarantee, and that you're going to get a return before the profits are shared. Because what you what you might find is that you've signed a loan agreement that's got an NDA clause in it, and now you're not allowed to tell anybody about your bad experience, and the costs have overrun, and there are no profits, or worse, you've lost money. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And you know, are there any? other closing thoughts or issues or you know bits of advice or awareness you want to raise before we before we end the podcast um i think i think the message i'm trying to get across here is that we've gone from five billion a year to 35 billion a year of pension withdrawals um lots of people see this as access to cheap funding lots of people have worked out how to structure it so that they can take lots of risk with this money um you, you've got to be sure that you're, you've got proper security and not just a charge over a business that's there to lend money to other businesses that are within the group. Um, if you're relying on someone who's giving you a PG, I wouldn't rely on it too heavily if I was you. Um, and whereas when we experienced the global financial crisis and things like Madoff were coming out and Lehman's went under because they pumped tons of money into mortgages that were never going to get repaid, I think our industry is building up to a crisis where um, not just the usual scenarios where you've got developers who've overextended themselves and, and the deals are going to fall over, but you've, you've got a much bigger potential problem on, on the horizon because of these, these, these bonds that, that just aren't fit for purpose. Um, and again, I just want to say I'm not tarnishing all bonds with the same brush. Some are good, some are bad, but there are there are. It's a bit of a gold rush for for the pensions at the moment, and uh, and it is really badly open to abuse. Okay, good. Not not good, but good advice um, to <laughs> to everyone out there. Um, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. If people want uh, to get a hold of you or to have 
look at um, Candle Club in more detail, what should they do? Uh, yeah, you can find me on all the social media channels. Um, it's potentially a bit of an unreliable way of getting hold of me, but you know we've got a good website, Candor, um, and and you can check out the club there. We've got lots of good content on there, um, and I hope you like what you see. Awesome. I will put all the links in the show notes as well, and thank you very much. Tej, thanks for having me, and thanks to everyone for listening. Um, it's important we get this message out there, and um, I probably need a bit of practice at it, but uh, I'm learning. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.